You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. To the arrest of Jesus in the Garden, the garden of Gethsemane, he's being taken across the Kidron Valley back into Jerusalem where he had just shared what we call the Last Supper, or some people say the First Communion, with his disciples. I'll be reading verses 12 through 24 of John chapter 18. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Let's pray together before we are seated. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would uh, not simply be able to, to sit by passively and, and, and occupy seats until we can get on to things we wanted to do later. Um, bring us to see that this is for us, that you speak to us from your word. And so when we have these opportunities as a congregation, certainly we have these opportunities on our own, but as a group, you, you recognize your church as a sacred assembly and you recognize these gatherings as, as the place where we commune with you and where we meet with you. So help us to not only take these gatherings uh, to be sacred, but to take this particular one today as one set aside for, for us to worship you. And, and one of the ways we're going to do that is to hear from you and to, to stand in awe of how you speak truth into our lives, even the way you convict us of sin. Shake us, but show us our rock. Show us forgiveness. Bring us hope, we pray, as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I 
I determined a long time ago uh, from my position that, that this pulpit would n- not become a, a, a place of, of political lobbying or, or spouting opinions. And obviously sometimes politics crosses the line into areas where it would be fitting for us to speak. So in what I'm about to do, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not actually trying to make a statement other than as it sheds light on our text. We have had, if you've watched the news or if you get online news, we've had a lot of protests. Uh, my family actually was just out east and we saw some of these big monuments honoring, um, honoring Confederate uh, generals and, and war hero- heroes uh, that, that have become targets for, for a lot of people. And uh, if you want to know my opinion on some of those, you can come talk to me about that later. Uh, but, but that's not the point. It, particularly w- when you saw what went on in Charleston, which was... Um, one of the most horrific ones, or some of you have been around long enough to see that the kind of rioting, in fact, to a much larger degree after the Rodney King verdict came down in Los Angeles many years ago. If, if you see a big crowd gathering and there's a big controversy, usually there is a character in the middle of all of that that probably wasn't inciting the riot, but is the subject of the riot. Even though Rodney King, again, for those of you who've been around long enough, wasn't, wasn't a very nice guy from, from all things. He, he wasn't the guy who, who brought about the Los Angeles riots. It was just, he was, he was the lightning rod. He was in the middle of all of that. Uh, General Lee didn't cause the riots in, in Charleston. So when you look at, at a crowd like that, if, if you were just to, to sit back and say, how do we, what do we do about these people? There's people just driving by in cars. There are people who are, who are hostile and, and swinging fists. There are people who are angry and they don't even know why they're angry. They're just, they're just out there. There are some people, honestly, who have so much anger in their hearts, they're just looking for something to be mad at. So you give them an opportunity and you look at, and, and in, our, in our culture, social, social media has been the, the so-called civil ways to, a civil way to tell people off and, and, and just spew whatever anger you have inside yourself on a page from the anonymity of, of your laptop. There is a, a, a wide spectrum of people. And in the scene that we're seeing today, I just I want to point out as we go through this that you have people who were just there. They're in, the, if you can say wrong place at the wrong time. There were people who were drawn into this because they just always like a fight. Not that they cared so much about who Jesus was or what he did, but, but they just, they get drawn into quarrels. Conflict follows some people wherever they go. There were others though who were the instigators and they were driving this bus. They, they wanted something to happen and they were manipulating crowds we're going to see that as we go right on through the passion story, on through the crucifixion, and, and following, for that matter, the resurrection. You have people who are drivers. You have people who are the driven. You have people who are just, just average guy, average gal, and, and who, who may or may not be directly impacted. And then you have, you have believers in the middle of this story as well. You have believers who are faithfully, closely following Jesus, even though they are scared to death. 
You have believers in the story who are very weak, and one in particular that we're seeing today who was particularly weak, and, and from being able just a, a few hours, maybe an hour or two before, to confess, Jesus, I'll die for you, to the things that we've seen in Peter in this text. What I'd, I'd like you to do is, and I'm not saying this is what the text demands, this, this text is calling us to see who Jesus is and to see what's going on leading up to the cross. But when we're making applications, I think it's important for us to see where do I fit in this picture? Where would I be in the middle of this story? And I think you guys, most of you in AMOA have been around long enough to, to not say, well, I wouldn't, wouldn't be one of those idiots who was, who was shouting crucify, and I wouldn't be one of those people certainly driving them to crucify Jesus. And I certainly wouldn't do what Peter did and lie to a slave girl and say, I don't know him. I wouldn't be that. Uh, this, is, this is good for us to evaluate because we look at, at the events of, of this past work week, this past week in our home, and while most of us here would confess Jesus is my Lord and Savior, when, when push comes to shove, no, you probably wouldn't ever in your lifetime, most of us anyway, be in a circumstance where confessing Jesus could cost you your life. But in a lot of little circumstances and instances, we're, we're, we're living our lives just one moment at a time. You've got that moment with your kids. You've got that moment in your workplace. You've got that moment where, where you can pass or fail the test. And, and so we're living our lives a moment at a time and, and always ought to be asking ourselves, am I living as a believer? Am I living as an open follower of Jesus? So we're going to make those applications, and I, I want us to do that coming out of the text. And so here we are. I neglected to talk about the, the word cohort last time we were together. So I, I did point out um, when we were at the park last week that, that there weren't always cohorts. We, we're talking like anywhere from four to 800 Roman soldiers in a cohort. They, they varied in number. So you had several centurions in a cohort. I'm saying this is, a lot of times when you see the pictures, you see Judas and, uh, and some of the, the guys in their religious regalia and a handful of soldiers. I'm telling you, this is an army. This is an army that was sent after 11 guys and Jesus in the garden and specifically after one, after Jesus. They weren't messing around. Because it was a feast time, that's why there were so many Roman soldiers there. And I pointed that out last week. But the text says, so the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus. So you had this, this alliance that, that rarely existed. Many of the Jews didn't even want to go into the Roman praetorium where the, where the Roman trials and, and uh, military proceedings took place. They didn't want to be defiled. Certainly not on this weekend. They wanted to be consecrated. But, but to get together to bring Jesus down because Caiaphas thought that was so important, uh, they were okay getting together in that garden to the east of Jerusalem. So you have the Roman cohort, soldiers. Did they really know what was going on? No. They were following orders. The commander who had been convinced that Jesus was a threat 
the officers of the Jews. So then you had representation from the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council, probably Pharisees and Sadducees there. They arrested Jesus. They, they bound him, so probably with, with ropes, perhaps chains. But they led him to Annas first, and the text says, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. And this, that, this might be a good time to pause and point out, if, you, if you're doing your through the Bible in a year thing, uh, you're on a Bible reading schedule, and you get back and you see how God ordained the priesthood, you see Aaron, the brother of Moses, who is the first God-ordained priest. And there was a, a line of succession. The firstborn son of Aaron was to become the high priest, but Nadav and, and his brother Avihu were unfaithful to the Lord. Some people speculate they came, uh, they came uh, with strange fire. They perhaps were even drunk at the time. God struck them both dead. So Eliezer became the oldest son. He became the high priest. Eliezer's firstborn son became the high priest upon his death. And that succession went kind of like uh, a monarchy. That's the way it was under the law of Moses. But by the first century, this was an office to be bought. This was an office of influence. And that's why you have Annas. He was called high priest, and yet he wasn't in the office. Annas, it says, uh, was father-in-law of the high priest. This wasn't father-son succession. It was, it was a, a family, kind of like political families in our country, uh, often become in control. And so a, a, a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife of somebody powerful gets influenced that way. That's the way it worked that way in the first century. Now Caiaphas is the one who, and this goes back to chapter 11, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Uh, Caiaphas was not saying that for political reasons. Uh, I, I should say he was saying it for political reasons, not for theological reasons. He wasn't saying, boy, we are so messed up. We need somebody to take away God's wrath. He wasn't saying that. When he said one person's going to die for the people, he was saying, if this following continues to increase, we're going to be in trouble because all the people are going to want to make him king and then Rome's going to come over and we're going to lose our jobs. We're not going to have these comfy positions anymore. So Caiaphas, the high priest, is saying, this guy's got to die for the people. This is just a small sacrifice to pay. We're going to have to kill this popular guy in order to keep Rome off our backs. John recorded this in chapter 11. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, and he's talking to the council, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. And then John added this commentary. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Caiaphas became uh, an unintended prophet. And John probably remembered that later on. Yeah, this is the guy. His father-in-law in this, this kangaroo court in this arrest. And by the way, if, if you look through this and then you read some historical documents, you're going to find out that, that this absolutely violated so many of the procedural uh, laws of the Jews. 
they were not to be conducting business in the night. It was very rare, by the way, if you, if you read first century documents, it was very rare to execute someone. Uh, this, this was not what some people want, vigilante justice, let's just get this done and have a fast trial. It was rare to have an execution, uh, it, what, it, particularly under Rome. Many of the, of the Roman laws and the Jewish laws very much didn't, didn't favor criminals, but they just wanted to make sure that there were, was evidence particularly the Jews who respected the law of Moses, said we cannot, we cannot bring about any kind of justice unless we have the facts. So there had to be eyewitnesses. There, I mean, there, you had to have clear evidence. So laws were being violated left and right. Here is Jesus. Before Annas, Caiaphas is sleeping, most likely. John's close. And Peter was following at a distance. So Simon Peter was following Jesus. Where if you're following along in your text, um, it's verse 15 and 16 here. Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. That's John, by the way. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So I, I'm saying this is John, and, and I think John is revealing here about himself. He always speaks of himself anonymously, and you, if you're interested in these notes, you just come talk to me later, and I'll send them to you. But John 13, 23, John 18, 15, 19, 26, 19, 35, 21, 7, 21, 24, John alludes to himself. It calls himself that other disciple, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never names himself, but John had Jerusalem connections. And John knew the family of the high priest, and so he came to the door, and it's like, oh yeah, you're okay, you can, you can come in. Peter's on the outside, standing at the door. So the other disciple, again, John talking about himself, the other disciple who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper, and brought Peter in. John is showing a, a kindness. Remember that Peter and James and John were the three, I always call them the inner disciples. They were the ones who got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration along with Moses and Elijah. They got to see um, healings, a, a raising of a little girl from the dead, and none of the other nine got to see it. Peter and James and John saw many things that others didn't see, and, and we're not told where John's brother James was, but John is, is there and he sees Peter following at a distance and he talks to the doorkeeper and says, let him in. Now you understand this is not going into a house. This is going into a courtyard and that'll help us understand what's going on. So, so John is being kind to Peter. He knew that Peter had an interest in seeing the way this trial was going to progress And by the way, the fact that Peter was brought into that courtyard, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, who's very detailed, points out that, that actually you could see from that courtyard in to where the trial was proceeding. And when the rooster crowed the final time, Luke tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. So where you see Peter tonight when he makes this first denial in John's text when you see Peter right here, he is within earshot and eyeshot of what is going on before that, that hastily gathered meeting of the Sanhedrin.
So Peter's out in the courtyard, invited in by John. Then the slave girl who kept the door. So you've got the picture here. John says, it's okay. This guy can come in. And, and so she steps back and she allows Peter to come in. Perhaps some other people, hey, what's going on in there? It's the middle of the night. There probably aren't large crowds. But Peter comes in and she sees him. There were lanterns. There was a fire in the middle of the courtyard. And she sees his face. So the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Now let's remember that John probably already came through the door, maybe even identifying himself as one of Jesus' disciples. Peter was a little bit more cautious at this point in time, and so he said, I am not. Just such a, such a simple statement. Isn't, isn't it really easy to dishonor the Lord, to deny him by your actions or your words? Just these simple words. What's the big deal? No, no, I'm not. I mean, isn't it more important that I be, uh, in the long run, not arrested and, and not killed for being one of his disciples? He may have reasoned within himself, although there wasn't a lot of time to reason. Peter was weak. And at this point, when he's asked, having heard the Lord Jesus say perhaps many times, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. To understand the severity of denying the Lord with your words or your actions is something for all of us to realize, particularly when the mob is gathered, particularly when the crowd is gathered and they're, they're mocking Jesus or, or mocking as people are increasingly emboldened to do in our day, mocking what, what we hold dearly. What could be worse than lying? I am not his disciple. Denying your Lord with your words and your actions is, is much worse. He was ashamed at being recognized as a disciple of Jesus. So now we turn the camera back on the scene in that courtyard. The slaves and the officers were standing there. I think John is pointing that out because you have a, a wide cross-section of people. These are slaves. These are owned people. M maybe they're not directly on duty. This slave girl among them, she at least had door duty. But there were people standing there uh, warming themselves. It says it was cold. Uh, if, if you look at... Um, the weather in Jerusalem in the early spring. So this would have been late March, early April, our time. Daytime highs can get up in the 60s and 70s, but at night, it's very much like it's here right now. It could get into the, the 40s and lower 50s in the evening, and that would be particularly in a very dry climate. You, you know, some of you guys have been wearing jackets. That would have been time in the middle of the night to warm yourself by a fire. And that fire... That fire brought together a, an, an interesting cross-section of people. Uh, these, this would not have been a Roman soldiers. They were still on the outside. They wouldn't have been allowed to come into this. But there were officers. There were servants. This was a Jewish people. It says this is a charcoal fire. They're warming themselves. And Peter is, is inside. And it's like, I'm going to come over here and get warmed up. You think about how uncomfortable, uncomfortable it is when you have an uneasy conscience. Even when you're put in a comfortable situation, when you know you have lied, when you know you have unconfessed sin in your life and you're living a double life, all of a sudden Peter is living a double life. 
because he's there out of his love for Jesus, and yet he's there warming himself when he's just said, I'm not one of his disciples. What, a, what an eerie warmth that must have been for Peter to comfort himself when his, when his insides were being shredded by his conscience. I want to point out too that there, there's some, and I, I'm not trying to spiritualize this text, I'm just making observations. The, the crowd around the fire having people really from every social strata, um, slaves um, and, and servants of the high priests who, who were probably well cared for materially, they shared a common weakness. They were cold. And so people from all the different social strata came together because they, they found what their need was. And, and yet on the other side of the wall in the other room being tried was the one that people from not just every social strata within the Hebrew nation, but every tribe, tongue, and nation would one day bow the knee. And some in this life, those who recognize their need and, and come and bow before Him. So we go from the outer court to where Jesus is. And the high priest... Annas is called the high priest, even though he's not the high priest. Caiaphas is the high priest. But some of you have seen the public service announcement uh, uh, on television, one that's come out recently, where you have uh, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and George Bush 41 and George Bush 43. You have all, all five of them giving a public service announcement. But you probably don't call them George and, and Barack and, and W. You, you don't call them by their first names. You, don't, you, you call them President Obama and President Clinton. They have that title permanently. There are, are people who've been pastors in, in, in your history and they're retired or they're not in ministry anymore. You still call them pastor. There are titles that just seem to stick with people and high priest was one of those. So even though Annas did not hold that office, he was, for right or for wrong, and we'll say for wrong, uh, Annas was gathering this crowd tonight as the father-in-law of the real high priest. And Annas is questioning Jesus about two things, his disciples and his teaching. How, how would that line of questioning have gone? How, what would he have been saying? So how many disciples do you have? About how many people are following you these days? What have you been telling them? What have, you been, what have you been saying to them about, about your political aspirations? Do you really want to be, are you a king or not? You know, we heard that more than once within the next hours. Are you a king? Pilate had the same interest in asking that question, probably fed by Annas and Caiaphas. Two lines of questioning. Tell me about your disciples. What do they want for you? How many are there? And what have you been feeding them? What are you teaching them? Is there going to be a rebellion against Rome? Because Annas knew very well that there would be no execution of Jesus done by the Hebrews. They would not be allowed to do it. They were going to have to convince Rome that this fellow needed to die for his crimes. You notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. 
Iowa State. And you should point out, by the way, that Jesus only answered one of the questions, and it was only a partial answer. Was that disrespectful of authority? It kind of depends on who you see as the authority in this room. I've spoken openly to the world, and I, I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. And notice who is questioning whom. Why do you question me? Now, what's about to happen, you understand this would have been the statement perhaps that, that drove that guy to do what he did. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. In other words, they're all around us. This didn't happen in a corner. Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. Jesus is giving a command to the high priest, at least to the former high priest. He wasn't being evasive, by the way, but, but the point was this. Annas, the burden's on you. Do your own homework. If you want to find out what I'm teaching, ask anybody. This is, this is all over the place. If you really want to know, just, just ask the people who heard me. But he didn't give Annas what he wanted. Burden's on you, Annas. And uh, that was perceived as impertinent. So verse 22, when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby, and, and again, these were not Roman officers, these were court officials of the Jews. One of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, probably in the face, saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong, but if rightly, why do you strike me? Here's an official of the, the, the Jewish court. I want to make a contrast here. It's something that I, I, I do when I'm going through Acts in a study. And now when I'm going through John, there are two instances in Scripture where you have God's representative, one of them being God the Son, uh, the other one being the Apostle Paul, standing before this same court. Now, Paul's was during the day. It was, a, I guess, a legal proceeding this one being an illegal proceeding. But the point is, Paul and Jesus both stood before the high priest. <clears throat> and, and in Acts, I'll just, we'll look at the account. I put a slide together from Acts chapter 23. Paul is standing before the Jewish ruling council. This is after his arrest. He had been accused of bringing uh, a Gentile into the temple complex. Paul, looking intently at the council, also called the Sanhedrin, said, brethren, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias, okay, so we're on to a different generation of high priest. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? But Paul backed down. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that he said anything wrong. It's that he didn't realize, and somebody could say, how could you not know you're standing in front of the high priest? That's why Steve thinks that this is one of the reasons Paul probably had, uh, one of the evidences that Paul had eye problems. 
But he's standing before the high priest, and he, I, I love the King James there. God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. And he gets smacked for it. And, and the people say, what? What? You're talking to the high priest? And he said, whoa, I, I didn't know. And he quotes scripture against himself. I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Boy, I wish some Christians around here would, would grab onto that. When you talk about respect, no matter what, uh, what uh, party they're from or, or how immoral they may be as persons, respect is in order. What was the difference? Paul was unaware that he addressed the high priest and he humbly backed down. And the Lord Jesus didn't back down, he doubled down. Because there was a difference in authority. There is a, a witness to who is standing before them. We're going to see this in the next chapter when Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to crucify you? I have authority to release you. And Jesus said, nah, you, you, your authority is a gift. I want to look at the, the different people in this. As I, I pointed out before, there are, there are different categories of people. And I, I wonder if, if you can find yourself among these in, in this crowd or in the crowds that we're in now, there's a, a riot going on. There's injustice going on. There are unknowing pawns. And here they were represented by the slaves. And I'll say most of the soldiers. They're just following orders. Including the slave girl. There were hostile enemies. And the hostile enemies were represented here by Annas, certainly. The other religious leaders, Caiaphas, fake believers, well, at least one. Fake believers were represented here, of course, by Judas. He was in a position, he was a mole. And so uh, uh, knowing where Jesus was going to be going, Judas, Judas betrayed the Lord so we'll, we'll call him not a, a weak believer, but we'll, we'll call Judas a fake believer. And then we have weak believers. However you slice up this story, and of course we're looking at Peter now, there was not a big distinction between what Judas did and what Peter did. And I, I know you say, well, yeah, but what Judas did led to the arrest of Jesus. But... You had two people who had been with the Lord Jesus for three years straight. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the message. They had heard the Lord Jesus prophesy what was going to happen. And yet, there certainly is a big difference in the outcome because what was inside Judas and what was inside Peter were two different things. Isn't it hard sometimes to tell the difference between followers of Christ and those who don't. Now, ours, of course, our responsibility is to make sure that people can see that, that if we're looking like a believer, our, our, we're in a position where we need to repent. But if you look at any group, you've got weak believers, and, and that group of our world is represented by Peter. He couldn't overcome his fear because Jesus wasn't by his side. Whenever Jesus was near, man, whip out the sword and chop a guy's ear off. Walk on water, Peter. When Jesus is close, Peter's bold. When Jesus is a little ways away, he crumbles. And one more group, and that is faithful followers. 
And I think here represented by John. Um, maybe that's why he, and, and he wants to record all the details, but he's not going to say, well, at least I was following Jesus. So John puts himself into the story anonymously. Even though John didn't speak up in defense of Jesus, he, he stayed close right through the events of the Passion. You're going to see him standing next to the cross, and you're going to see the Lord Jesus committing his mother, presumably Joseph was dead, committing his mother to John's care. Maybe that's why Jesus let John live so long. So now we'll ask the questions. <clears throat> Did you identify yourself where you are right now in your, in your walk with God? You, you may not be in the middle of a riot anytime soon, but you know you have all of those moments that are coming up here. And as we're approaching the cross, the real story here is the sin bearer carrying sins for his people. And yet you have all of these moments to, where you have an opportunity to defend the truth with your life and your words or to deny it. If you're among the unknowing pawns, say, do you know it? If you're an unknowing pawn? Well, sometimes you can recognize later, and I'm just being carried around by the storm. The wind's blowing. I'm just, I'm just following the crowd. If you're an unknowing pawn, this text really does call you to, to look closely at Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that. You observe what Jesus claimed for himself. The unknowing pawns in our world are, are the ones who it's like, yeah, go to church, Christmas and Easter, or, or maybe even go to church all the time, read the daily bread, do what you're supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with doing what you're supposed to do, but there are a lot of people who just don't understand what the big picture is. They don't have a purpose, or they've not identified the purpose for their existence. They're just, they're just going with it. That's the unknowing pawn. And once you realize that, you're no longer an unknowing pawn, are you? You look what Jesus claimed for himself and what the Bible records claim that Jesus did and what difference that makes for you. If all of this is really true, if you could talk to the people other than Peter who were warming themselves at the, the fire that night, what would you tell them? What's about to go down in this town? The Bible doesn't throw out hostile enemies. In fact, if you read the, the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, you realize that God, God threw his best prophets at the northern tribes of Israel with their wicked kings. You look at King Ahab. Ahab got Elijah. God sent his, his best preachers to the, to the most wicked leaders there were to the hostile enemies of truth. If you're one of those, in one way or another, you're hearing or reading these words. This text is calling you to see the man of Nazareth as your judge. Jesus was on trial here, but there was a bigger trial taking place, which is why he could so often turn the tables on his accusers. Who does he claim to be? If you're a fake believer, I have a friend who actually was in a church service and he'd, he'd grown up actually right here in this area, went to a, a mainline church, went, went into the military and, and married and starting a family. And he's sitting in a church service where he was invited and the message is on Judas. And his testimony was this, when he got to the end, he said, I'm Judas. I am Judas. 
not so much a betrayer of the Lord Jesus as somebody who, who absolutely claimed to be a believer, but was a, as, as lost as he could have been. And, and God used that awareness in his life to see, I better get off the fence. I can't pretend anymore to be a believer just by going to this Baptist church. You declare your loyalties and you don't turn back. Whatever the cost, you declare your loyalties. This is not about, well, did Judas have a chance? This isn't about Judas. This is about people who claim to be believers who are sitting on the fence. For that matter, I said there wasn't an appreciable difference between Judas and Peter when it came to what they were doing outwardly. There was a difference on the inside, though. Peter was a believer, but he was so weak. And the challenge is this. You've got to get off the fence. If you really are a believer, demonstrate that. You declare your loyalties and you don't turn back. How many opportunities do you have in your workplace, even in your home, to deny the Lord? Because you would look really stupid if you stood up for what was true and pure and right. You're in a, you're in a crowd and there's an off-color story being told and you're joining in the pleasure with the rest of them and then later on feeling dirty. Yeah, that's, that's Peter. Being called to get off the fence. An immense difference between Judas and Peter on the inside and ultimately the truth is going to come out. And, and finally, you say, well, would I call myself this, this faithful follower? Uh, God sees your heart, and uh, hopefully you can too. If you're a faithful follower, this text is just saying, don't, don't become a weak one. You, you stay like John did. Whatever you can, at, at any cost, stay near Jesus. It may cost you everything, but the alternative is so much more costly. John is a great example for us because he just followed Jesus to the end. It's like, well, you know, uh, get banished to an island. God's going to meet me there. I've got responsibilities. Jesus told me to take care of his mom. I'm going to take care of his mom till she dies. John, John was someone who was faithful and he just was a servant. Let's pray together. Father, we know that, that texts like this um, should cause us to see Jesus as he is, but they should also cause us to evaluate ourselves next to him. We know these categories aren't, aren't an exhaustive list, but they do remind us the, of all the different people who were standing there uh, that night, all of whom needing the Savior, not just the warmth of a fire. So stir us and speak to us even after we leave here this night, this day. In Jesus' name, amen.